So, Volodymyr, um, thanks for, for having this call. This is uh, a little bit unexpected. I'll, I'll just give a, short, I'll, I'll give a short introduction how we got to this meeting. So we are both residents in neurosurgery. We know each other from the ENS courses. You are um, a resident in, in Ukraine. I am from Belgium, but currently working in Innsbruck. And because yes. of everything that happened, I thought it, it would be um, interesting to have a little, little discussion. I know you um, from the courses uh, where I could see that you were not only a good and motivated doctor, but also a very social guy, a guy who was pretty active from in the morning. I mean, I always saw you at breakfast. You were in every course and you were also there to be the latest to close the bar or the club. So um, <laughs> before we, we, have, we head over to some, some uh, more serious questions, um, is there anything else that you want to say? Let, let me give you some time to introduce yourself um, and then we'll, we'll start. Yes, sure. So uh, my name is Volodymyr Smolanka Jr. I'm a neurosurgeon. Uh, basically this year I have finished residency, by the way. So I'm already a staff neurosurgeon at Ruzhgorod Regional Clinical Center of Neurosurgery and Neurology, which is based in a small town called Ulgorod in Ukraine. This is Western Ukraine. Uh, yeah, that's that's basically it in terms of, of introduction. Uh, okay. And um, since when are you a, a member of staff? Uh, since, uh, I think, since this 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 year so it's been half a year i think okay and it's a big change from being a resident or not so much it is it is um since you get to do uh surgeries on your own since you get to have a bit of more time a bit a bit of more time to yourself and in the or and less time doing paperwork of course yeah. but basically yeah yeah it's uh, it's pretty much uh, uh, in terms of, of surgery it's pretty much the same in terms of paperwork it's it's less okay um, is there a specific field in your surgery that you are focusing on or are you still doing everything I'm still doing general, but uh, what I would like to focus on is pediatrics and um, functional and epilepsy surgery. Okay. And your um, unit or your department neurosurgery, how many members of staff and how many residents do you have? Uh, well, it's uh, it, we not only have neurosurgeons, right? We have neurologists and we have... Um, anesthesiologists we have um, radiologists and stuff i think in terms of of doctors we have around 50 staff members if i'm not mistaken it's around 30 or four, uh, 13 or 14 newer surgeons among them uh, in terms of residents uh, i can tell you about neurosurgery we have uh, five neurosurgical residents at the moment and uh, in terms of neurology I might be mistaken, but it's around seven to eight uh, neurological residents as well. Okay. And just to have an idea, can you describe a normal day, a normal work day for you? How does it look like? Like you wake up at, at seven, I guess, 
and then you you cycle to work or you go to work yeah. by car or how does normal normal day look like well uh, you basically my work day starts at around uh, 9 a.m so basically i wake up at seven of course or half past seven I get to do my normal morning routine. Uh, then at around 8.30 a.m., I try to get to work. Uh, at 9 a.m., we have a morning meeting with the staff and the administration where we discuss patients, check follow-up imaging of patients that were operated the day before and imaging of all stroke patients that were admitted during the last 24 hours since we have a uh, big stroke unit. Uh, then I have morning checkup rounds with my residents to check on operated patients. And after that, after I've done my morning checkup rounds, I go to the operating room. I have one or two surgeries a day, usually. And after surgeries, I do extended afternoon rounds. Uh, so in terms of morning checkup rounds, I just check up on the patients, check if they're okay, and then uh, I leave. In terms of extended afternoon rounds, I get to talk to the patients a bit more, talk to the patient's relatives, uh, listen to the, the, the complaints they have in terms of their health, uh, and uh, try to resolve all of, the, all of the possible problems we have together with the residents, of course. And uh, usually at the end of the day, I also sit down with the patients uh, that are going to be operated the next day, and discuss the surgery and the post-operative period with uh, those patients and their relatives. And basically anywhere between 5 p.m. and 10 p.m. I usually leave the hospital. So we, we, we usually tend to uh, work uh, some extended hours and additional hours per day. Um, again, yeah, in, I, I have to tell you. Um... You relax a little bit at home, or you go home and and spend some time with your with your wife, or yeah, basically uh, during weekdays uh, it's more of even if I come home quite early, that's say like six p.m. Yeah, yeah. Usually, what I tend to do is I tend to uh, do some some studying, yeah, some educational work. Uh, reading articles, maybe watching some neurosurgical videos, yeah, and the neurosurgical um, courses. Uh, usually when, when I have time to relax or to chill, it's usually weekends, of course. Uh, sometimes we do surgeries on Saturdays. So basically Sunday is a real day off. Mm -hmm. uh, on Saturdays in the evening, I usually either see my friends or we stay uh, at home with my wife, uh, sometimes uh, doing self-development time. I mean, again, watching online neurosurgical courses. Um, and my wife is quite busy during week weekdays as well. Uh, and uh, what we try to do is we try to leave Sunday as a family day. So usually Sunday is the time I spend uh, with my wife and uh, we do some leisure activities. We love to go away from town for some touristic activities. Even when we're in town, we try to uh, go out, have some coffee, walk around uh, the river embankment uh, in our city, communicate, tell each other what, what, what were the happenings of the week. Uh, so yeah, okay. in the in, on Sunday evenings, we try to visit 
either my parents or my wife's parents that live outside of town, they might come to, to us and uh, we stay with them for a while and uh, talk, talk, talk on all right on thing. Yeah, it, it seems like you're, okay, you may be thousand kilometers away, but your, your weeks look like, like normal weeks, like for all of us. Um, yeah. So this is a good, a good way and a good introduction. And also will lead to my next question. Like how does, how did this very normal way of life have changed or has changed since um since a couple of weeks since the war started in your country well i have to say that um the the, the toughest was uh, the toughest time i've had was the first two a few for, for the first few days because it's it it changes everything it changes your perception of of life more even not your professional routine, but your your mental status, what you're feeling. So like February 24th was a tragic day that we will all remember, all Ukrainians will remember, I think, till the end of our days, at least the ones that witnessed it, right? Waking up to realize that your country is, is bombed and invaded by a neighboring country with nuclear potential is, is awful. And uh, we were basically paralyzed, I think, not only me, but, but most of the people living in the country. Uh, I woke up to friends keeping calling me and asking what I'm going to do, what we're going to do with my wife, since they themselves were at a loss of, of thoughts. They were at a loss of actions. They did not know what to do. And this is the, those were, the, the, I think, the first feelings we got when we realized that we were attacked. Uh, of course, my, my first thoughts were to get my pregnant wife out of the country because we did not know what to do. Uh, but in time, when we woke up and uh, continued our daily routine, I gathered my thoughts together and decided that the most reasonable thing to do was to continue with my daily routine and uh, go to work. Again, at work, we were told to postpone all scheduled surgeries and be prepared to treat wounded everyone eager to leave uh, and be with their families was allowed to do so. Uh, so, and the administration also arranged some bonus paychecks for all the workers because we didn't know what will happen to the banking system at that time, like day one of, uh, of the invasion. So, but the, the thing I was pretty impressed by was that nobody practically left their workplace at day one. So we were all, of course, scrolling through the news every minute of every hour and all of our prayers went to the people in the south and east of the country and to our military who um, uh, had already been uh, uh, having first uh, conflicts with, with the Russian military. We were all hoping that, that first of all, Kiev and our government would, will stand for as long as they can. And uh, it's hard to express the frustration you feel when you realize that a 100,000 unit army is invading your country on all fronts. That's like superior military count with superior arms, superior military vehicles and aircraft. I remember reading news that their airborne brigades have reached an airport 20 kilometers from Kiev in the early hours of the invasion. And that 
basically fierce fighting was happening on the outskirts of Kiev already in the first few hours of 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 the invasion so yeah. and to be honest and... i couldn't even sleep knowing that the capital is under siege and then at around i think it was around 12 like midnight or maybe a bit past midnight when we got confirmation that our military took them out and uh, that was the moment i basically realized on day one that i could go to bed Mm-hmm. And because uh, I, I remember all... from from the WhatsApp conversations, we have a WhatsApp group of some people from the yeah. INS that in the first hours it looked like it was going to go very fast, and then it turned yes. out that it it will all yeah it will all take much more time, and it was much more longer fights, different fights than everybody thought, and I guess this yes, but... also changed your perception on 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 how things are evolving. No. Yes, it did. Uh, we I, we were all afraid of a blitzkrieg. And then, you know, day one, uh, our military did uh, stop them. Day two, basically, to be honest, I, I woke up on day two and realizing that the military are giving them hell. And then you see videos and independent news showing crippled and burned Russian military columns. And you know that that fear and frustration of day one, it, it 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 was suddenly gone, and it was substituted by determination and eagerness to help. You know, and on day two, I think many people, including me, they they all over the country, they were waking up and asking themselves, "What should I do? What could I do to help the country in in this hour of need?" Again, of course, this war wasn't was uh, was forced on us. We didn't want war. Ukraine is a peaceful country with no, no, basically attacking military forces or something like that. But unfortunately, having a, a neighbor like this forced us to all to 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 try and help the country yeah. as as much as we could. And in terms of of what what I could do, right? Basically, we are situated in Western Ukraine, so we don't have that much military action here thank god right mm-hmm. so at least uh, we are uh, out of reach basically now uh, for the russian military and uh, the best possible option we could do is i think uh, give the best neurosurgical care to people here and to the people that were fleeing from war because our our city uh, alone accommodated around 30,000 refugees. And if you consider that Ushgorod is a very small community uh, with approximately 130,000 residents and you have 30,000 coming in, right? Yeah. Uh, again, our region uh, accommodated around 100,000 uh, refugees of war. Yeah. So these people require medical attention. <clears throat> these people require... Uh, some humanitarian aid as well. So yeah. many people from other regions cannot get proper neurosurgical and neurological attention now at their hometowns because of the war. And uh, we try to tend to those as well. Yeah, so, so if, I, if I understand right, you, you're not really treating wounded people at the moment. It's more um, a continuously neurosurgical practice that you're doing, but... Um, not only patients from your region then, um, but also more um, 
yeah, new new patients, patients who just arrived in your neighborhood, arrived in your community. Because as you as yes. you probably know, neurosurgery it never it never stops. It's it's always presents with acute patients, and patients won't stop being sick. If if is that correct? You actually continue neurosurgical treatment. We do continue neurosurgical treatment to the patients in need because, of course, as you said, yeah, it's wartime. Of course, uh, some some hospitals are uh, treating treating the wounded, and you know that neurosurgical care is a very um, specific care which cannot be done on the battlefield. So every neurosurgical patient has to be transferred to a neurosurgical hospital. And many hospitals that are close to the, to the war zone, they are actually treating the wounded. Since we are quite far, uh, we have mostly um, been treating uh, civilians, right? And yeah. uh, you know, we, we, are, we are a specialized neurosurgical uh, center. We have treated Indeed. all neurosurgical yeah. pathologies even before war struck our country. Yeah. So, and uh, to, yeah. And um, what about uh, the material? You still have all, because if I hear you're right, you are indeed a specialized uh, hospital. Of course, you're having the, the technologies to treat neurosurgical patients. But um, yeah, I, I just cannot um, estimate how much shortages you are now. Have you, have you still all the material left? to do the, your kind of work? Well, uh, during the first few days, we were totally paralyzed in terms of supplies and in terms of logistics. Uh, it, at, at this very moment, it's all slowly getting back together now. Yet, of course, first of all, right, we, we have more civilians coming in. On the other hand, we still have to be prepared and we are prepared to treat any patient even military patient, military wounded. Uh, thank God in the last, uh, well, in the days of the conflict, we uh, had only one patient with a gunshot wound transported to our hospital from, from uh, other hospitals. So uh, yeah, and this, this requires not only uh, like specialized neurosurgical equipment, but this also requires uh, supplies and uh, let's say uh, surgical single-use material such as gowns, yeah. such as drapes, such and as let's I, say I, I saw that in our WhatsApp group that I think one of our Polish colleagues and also uh, our colleague from uh, England, the UK, sent you some material. But where is most of the the material use? Uh, um, sorry, the material help coming from? Because uh, your city is close to the Slovakian border, to the Polish border. Where do you get your material from right now? Yeah, so uh, basically the, the humanitarian corridors in terms of border customs is as easy to pass as it has never been before. So we get a lot of humanitarian aid from our friends and colleagues all around the world. There are um, even humanitarian uh, warehouses where you can get, get stuff for free, of course. And uh, th this is actually what keeps us going. Uh, since we 
let's say a practical example from from our hospital, the hospital I work uh, in. If it wasn't for the help from our friends in Europe, uh, uh, let's say even Robert from Poland and Venya uh, from uh, from the UK that have sent humanitarian aid, we wouldn't even be able to operate because of the absence of uh, surgical drapes at our hospital. We didn't have you know, we did not expect war to hit. We didn't have a a strategic supply or a strategic warehouse yeah. having that uh, uh, single-use surgical material and stuff. And the first um, thing we, we yeah. had shortage of was was uh, surgical drapes. And yeah. uh, bit by bit, we're getting we're getting it back together. And the, the humanitarian aid we're getting is is an incredible help to us but your normal logistics the normal way you normally get your material this is disturbed you depend on this, what people this, send this you is, yes this is disrupted and uh, basically uh, some of it is getting back together bit by bit because now we're at the stage it's i think day 39 or day 40 of the invasion and uh, I, I must say that, that we're, we're battling back and uh, the Ukrainian army has, has gained some ground. And uh, many, many people that uh, fled from, from the war are coming back to their positions, uh, coming back to, to do their normal routine. And uh, many factories are, are getting uh, to work again. And uh, uh, there is... The supplies, uh, the supply chains are slowly, but they're 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 getting back together. Uh, still, we have shortage of single-use materials. Still, we have shortage of uh, some uh, some drugs, especially uh, the the analgetics and the, for for surgeries. Yeah. let's say fentanyl or something like that right it's uh, we're we're short of it and uh, they say that the either some people say that the factory was bombed other people say that uh the the, the factory the logistics are gone from the factory and uh, so the material the material um shortages seems to be under control what about uh, people like nurses, other doctors, administration um, servants? Is I hear you say that some people are coming back. Does this mean that the hospital can keep on running with the staff you're having right now? Of, or are there also shortages there? Well, again, uh, we're in a better place than many hospitals in Ukraine at the moment because we're in a relatively uh, safe zone and uh, in terms of personnel uh, we have no lack of personnel at the moment in fact well since war struck only two people from our staff have fled abroad uh, and uh, uh, in fact many doctors and nurses that have fled the war zone they have come to, to our region and are eagerly involved in the treatment process, in the humanitarian aid process. And, you know, people have fled their homes, but they, uh, they want to help the country. They want to do something 
in the place that they are staying right now. And lots of uh, even my friends and colleagues who have uh, left their normal workplace, they come here, they call us up and they, they tell us, me and, and, and other colleagues that work at the hospital, that they yeah. are eager to help and they can be there on the very short notice. If and we need you are, anything, they're ready to help. Because I, I, I heard you saying you sent your wife abroad uh, because she's pregnant. I was, I was, I was considering this in uh, uh, in the first very first early hours of of the invasion. But uh, you know, uh, we, we my wife will not leave without me, and okay. uh, I. I I would not like to leave the country. I did not leave in the first two days because no. I feel that this this is my home soil. This is my homeland. I have to be here. And in fact, uh, now people aged eighteen to sixty are not men aged eighteen to sixty are not allowed to leave the country. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I I. I I've made my decision on staying here. My wife made her decision to, to mm -hmm. stay with me. And okay. uh, to be honest, uh, now at the moment, we feel, at least I feel, that she is safe in, yeah. in my city for now. Yeah. So, so uh, by the way, if, I, I didn't know that your wife was pregnant. So uh, congratulations. Thank you so much. I'm, uh, I'm super you. happy for you. And... Once the baby is born, let me know when uh, I she or he will get a, a very nice present of me. Okay, okay, agreed, agreed. <laughs> okay, um, so another question, which is maybe a strange question, but I was just wondering, like, of course, COVID is, is, is had, has been the topic of the following, of the last, sorry, of the last two years. Is this still something, like at the moment here in, in Austria, this is no longer a patient problem. This became a, a personal, like a um, Mitarbeiter. Yeah, sorry that I'm sometimes confusing in English and German, but like we, yeah. we have a lack of, of people who can come to work because of infection. Is COVID an issue in, in wartime or is it really something that is a far away from your bad problem at the moment? Just out of curiosity. Uh, to be honest, COVID is, is far from being a primary priority now. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. the whole health healthcare system is quite tense now. So yeah. treating military, treating civilians, treating refugees that, that go away from, yeah. and, uh, you know, shortage of, of supplies and stuff. Uh, you know, at these times, having COVID as a priority is too much to handle uh, for for our healthcare system. Yet yeah. COVID departments are still working. You still need to be tested to be hospitalized to the non-COVID departments. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of uh, general COVID restrictions, by the way, like quarantine, face mask regime, distancing, I think it's not about that anymore. People, no. people just forgot about it because they have a, a, a much higher priority of in uh, terms of helping humanitarian aid and getting together than COVID. And yeah. uh, in terms of, of the general statistics, of course, it's it's not representative in Ukraine right now because of, of uh, the whole situation. But 
uh, I, I don't think we're we're having even without these these uh, COVID restrictions. I don't yeah. think we're having a, uh, and, a blast of COVID right now because of of the uh, of course uh, of, of the war. Yeah. Then because um, of the war and, and, and because of the fact that many people uh, got vaccinated. Yes. Yeah. Another another um, question I have for you is. Um, so one of the things that we are feeling here um, in, in the Western countries is that prices are rising. Prices are rising of everything. The, the bread price is rising. Um, energy, of course, is rising. Is this something that you feel in Ukraine too? Like um, this, I wonder, and of course, I wonder, there is the local Ukrainian coin that you're using. How is the financial system doing? Or do you also say at the moment we we have bigger bigger issues than than some some bread prices and and some some money? Um, so what do you what do you know about that? Uh, well, uh, of course, our 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 currency, the Ukrainian hryvnia, uh, has. Um, has fallen to the to the US dollar or the euro a bit. Not it's not catastrophic. So let's say if pre-war times one US dollar was around uh, I don't know 30, 30, 29 hryvnias, now it's around 32 or 33 hryvnias. But uh, of course we have uh, the, the general prices aren't uh, that high now and uh, we don't have uh, a catastrophic shortage of uh, food and uh, supplies. Uh, what has uh, gone up is the fuel price. And uh, we cannot uh, get more than 20 liters of fuel per person now per day, since, of course, fuel is uh, a very basic need of the military at the moment and uh, our fuel depots are getting bombed consequently by uh, the Russian air forces. Uh, so there is a, a bit of a, well, we don't feel the shortage of fuel, but I think in time that mm -hmm. this might be an issue and the fuel prices have gone up. This is uh, the, the only thing that I have noticed uh, yeah. in my daily routine. So. Then I was also wondering um, what kind of new source you are using to, to keep up to date. Here in, in Europe, there is a lot to do on the, the social media. That is, this is actually the first big war or one of the biggest wars that has been getting a lot of attention on social media. Um, of yeah. course, there are the, the classical newspapers. And I was just wondering, is there... Is it Ukrainian news you're following? Is it also Russian news you sometimes check? What do you check for to keep to keep up to date? Well, it's it's hard to keep uh, up to date, and it's hard uh, to get a general impression of what is happening. Of course, because there is uh, you, you get so many information that it's hard uh, to keep your informational hygiene. 
I mean, it's hard uh, to distinguish what is true and what is false, right? Uh, I tend to read uh, some Ukrainian uh, newspapers, well, news websites, right? Like, let's say, Ukrainian Pravda, Ukrainska Pravda, which is a, uh, a very known Ukrainian uh, website, which filters the news in terms of they try to keep the fake ones out. Of course, there are also lots of uh, lots of news that cannot be verified. Uh, in terms of keeping uh, a cool head and understanding what is actually happening and what are the actual, um, let's say, representative of forces and stuff. Uh, I try to also uh, listen to some uh, US and European news channels. Uh, like CNN, Wall, Wall Street Journal, uh, Bild, right, which is a German, mm -hmm. I think, yeah. uh, news network or something. Yeah. Uh, anyways, uh, Euronews as well. Uh, but to be honest, sometimes you even uh, I, I even go to checking uh, Reddit or yeah. or something like that because yeah. you might find Reddit groups which are unbiased right and uh, there's a good in terms of uh, of the 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 situation on the ground uh there are good even youtube channels like military 101 uh that that send out uh unbiased well in my humble opinion unbiased mm -hmm. reports uh practically daily on uh, the the situation uh, that yeah. that's on the ground and on the military progress the Russian army and the Ukrainian army uh, have done throughout the day uh, yeah. on the on the map so okay. uh, yeah it's it's very hard to find uh, to find uh, the, the the middle ground in this of course, of course, of course. I, I don't I don't watch Russian news because it's basically only Russian propaganda yeah. uh, they, they they talk about some chemical biological weapons I've heard their their uh, uh, like consultant to the Minister of Defense say that mm -hmm. COVID was a Ukrainian uh, uh, Ukraine that Ukrainians invented COVID or something like that so they they talk uh, a lot of nonsense mm -hmm. and this this is made just to uh, to convince the russian population and the russian people that this war they have started and uh, they have been the aggressor in uh, is actually uh, worth worth it so mm -hmm. so it's it's Okay. To be honest, on on the on the receiving side, it's impossible to listen to this because you just go into uh, yeah, you become uh, angry of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, so we are Sunday, the third of April. Tomorrow, yep. Monday. If I am understanding you right, you are actually having a normal Monday tomorrow. You'll just go to work and operate on your neurosurgical patients. Um, we try to, of course, we try to, since the shortage of supplies, we try to uh, filter the, the patients we're yeah. taking. Let's see if it's, if it's a convexity meningioma and uh, uh, 
the patient does not have a severe neurological deficit, even if the patient had, let's say, epilepsy due to the tenacity meningioma, we try to postpone those types of operations. Can you, can, you give, can you give a couple examples of the acute cases that you are treating in these days that cannot be postponed? Yeah, sure. Um, let's let's take last week. Uh, so uh, we we've done uh, quite a few operations. Mostly those are uh, vascular cases. So ruptured uh, AVMs, ruptured aneurysms. Uh, those are cases with uh, severe neurological deficit. I operated a patient with a glioblastoma uh, close to the precentral cortex, uh, which caused uh, hemi severe hemiparesis in the patient. Uh, I operated on, I was assisting on an operation uh, in a patient with a brainstem cavernoma. Uh, we have patient with uh, patients coming in with uh, sometimes even with uh, disc herniations with uh, but we only take those with uh, urinary incontinence so caudaecmina syndrome ones or yeah. uh, severe uh, uh, the, the the herniations that cause severe paresis. I yeah. had a patient. I had two patients last week. Uh, beginning of week one was a cervical intramedullary tumor with uh, tetraparesis. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, there was a child uh, with a mixopapillary uh, ependymoma uh, of the spinal cord on the T12 to L3 level, uh, which had uh, lower paraparesis. Yeah. Uh, so basically, the, the, the patients these, that are deteriorating neurologically yeah, and yeah. those that, that might deteriorate rapidly are the ones we're focusing on now. Yeah. And these patients you can still treat. You don't have to send people away or, or transport them no. to Poland or to Slovakia. You, the basic no, or the, no. the, the, I mean, the daily neurosurgical care you can still give to patients. Yes, that's that's what we're trying to do. We're yeah. we're giving as much surgical care as we can to to patients. Uh, of course, uh, there are patients uh, that require. Unfortunately, we do not have radio surgery here, no. and uh, there are patients that might require radiotherapy or radio surgery. Uh, many centers in Eastern Ukraine that have done this on a daily basis and that were good at, at uh, providing this type of care do not work anymore. So in terms of, of uh, these types of treatments, of course, uh, some people uh, get them abroad, though, let's say in our region at the local, well, the regional oncological uh, hospital and in right. Lviv at the regional oncological uh, hospital, yeah. they they do that. So, of course, some people, many people uh, try to find uh, help abroad as well. Uh, I know people, I know a patient that had a C2, uh, C2, um, I think it was C2 tumor. Uh, that went to uh, like a vertebral body tumor uh, that was a chordoma, I think, mm -hmm. uh, that uh, was 
going to be operated on basically beginning of March at our hospital. But at the beginning for the first few days, we were asked to, to postpone all the operations. Yeah. Yeah, so okay. she went to, to Charité, to yeah. Berlin, and I think she, she received the proper care in Charité, of course. Yeah. Volodymyr, um, I'm not going to take too much more time of your, oh, sure, sorry, of your time. Um, if people are, are hearing this conversation and um, if they want to do something, is there something useful they can do? Um, do you say... Or do you have any suggestions? Or because I have the feeling that, of course, it's it's been a very rough uh, weeks for you. It's it's been been horrible. It's been I mean, also I can imagine mentally. I mean, if you know how how hard it was mentally in in COVID time for people here, I can imagine that if if somebody's attacking your own country, this is even maybe even worse. But if there is if there is something that people can do, what would you suggest that people can do? Well, first of all, uh, of course, uh, supporting and uh, even uh, giving a shout out on social media to to the people of Ukraine, at least even writing to maybe some some friends you have in Ukraine, asking them how they're doing, asking if they need help or uh, attending to them if they actually need help is is the best the best way you can help on a on a personal scale, right? Okay. Uh, many many hospitals and many regions of Ukraine require humanitarian aid. Uh, if you're willing to help, you have the financial needs, or you have uh, you have some personal acquaintances that might help in in that. Uh, that would be really nice uh, a really nice way to help. Um, so, so uh, any type of even just you know a tap on the back saying that we're we're with you, we we're we're doing everything we can, and if you need, we're there for you. That this is very important for the people of Ukraine now, right now, especially for those fleeing, and especially for those that have nowhere to 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 go to right now and they cannot come back yeah. uh, again uh, today uh, and yesterday we have had uh, a lot of uh, photos coming in from uh, let's say cities like Bucha, uh, Irpin and Hostomel which are close to Kiev and which were Kiev and which were liberated uh, by our military and those those photos and those videos uh, are 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 flabbergasting. I mean, they 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 are gutting, because uh, you see uh, bodies all over the place. You see uh, buildings destroyed. Uh, you see people lying dead on on the streets, killed by Russian soldiers. And uh, there was a there's a, there's a village where all of the all of the male. Uh, People uh, aged 18 to 60 were were killed uh, by the Russian military. So so many people do not have where to come back to at the moment, and and they are at a loss right mm -hmm. now. So of course here in Western Ukraine, we, we try to tend to those people as much as we can, and I I, I ask and advice and and plead. Uh, everybody 
who is willing to help to find people like that on a personal basis and try to to attend to their needs uh, as as much as possible. So better uh, better doing something small than doing nothing actually. Yes, that's that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So okay, Volodymyr, um you are still the same guy. You still uh, can talk very very beautiful english actually your english is much better than mine um and you know you, your, your english is wonderful so <laughs> and you you describe very well the atmosphere the the things you're going to um i suggest we 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 stop right now um i'm gonna leave you on your free sunday i don't want to take too much of your time but if you liked this conversation i suggest and we don't have to make it always that long that in in a couple of weeks we can do it again to that you can yeah. give us a little update um i will try to to spread this um i will see how like i said how the quality is of the conversation and spread this to colleagues um because of course there is a lot of information to find on the internet in ukraine but the fact that we can we can combine it a little bit with our neurosurgical um interest makes it uh, an interesting view on the whole problem. So thank you so much for, for your time. And um, like I said, I'll, I'll think about new questions. I will try to follow the news. And um, yeah, let's meet again in a couple of weeks if, you, if that's okay for you. Yeah, and can I have just a, a, a small amount of time just to say, say a few uh, closing words on, on of the course, conversation? Of course, man, of course. Uh, for for all of the people listening to this, uh, I want you to to, to understand that uh, and and to to see that we never wanted this war. Ukraine was, Ukraine is, and Ukraine always will be a peaceful country with no imperialistic goals or no imperialistic needs. This this war was forced upon us and. Uh, we have shown the world that we are a country thriving for democracy and uh, we were bullied by the russian government for decades i am not uh, i'm not uh, saying that all of the russian uh, nation and all of the russian people are responsible for this i have friends in russia who are uh, now against the war and who has always who have always been against the the russian government uh but uh the, the 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 things the russian army and the russian government are doing in our country are outrageous we've had three revolutions uh throughout our history as an independent country for you to know to return us to a democratic state two of which ended peacefully and one uh, the one in 2014 ended in a massacre that led to our autocratic so-called president at that time leaving the country and fleeing to Russia again because he was Russian-backed. Uh, we have just at, in 2021-2022, we have just overgone the economic consequences of, of our struggle for democracy in 2014. Uh, we were getting to, to an uh, economically stable state and Ukraine was a developing country with constant economic growth for the last few years. And people were feeling confident 
enough about their financial status and well-being that many and many of my friends and colleagues were planning on having a baby in the nearest future. I have multiple friends and uh, that are expecting a baby in the nearest future. And in my humble opinion, uh, this is uh, the consequence of feeling confident in your financial capabilities and in the financial status of your country. And now, since this war, we don't know what to expect. Uh, our economy has suffered. Uh, our people have suffered. Uh, and uh, but what what I would like to to con convince everybody in and what we feel as a nation right now is that uh, we will have to rebuild the cities, we will have to rebuild the villages, the infrastructure. We are getting ready for uh, hard times ahead. Uh, of course, we are hoping that our strategic partners in uh, the countries of the European Union in the US will help us become fin uh, because uh, financially, I'm not sure that we will be able to rebuild really fast on our own. Uh, uh, but what, what I would like to, to say is that everybody here, everybody in this country is ready to help in rebuilding it and uh, ready to rebuild what we lost and make this country far better than it was before. And I think that the, the, the thing that is, I think, most important in uh, what is happening right now is that this war, I think it opened a new chapter in the history of our nation and its people. Uh, we will prevail, we will rebuild, and we will become stronger. Thank you for, to everyone who is supporting us at the moment. Okay, Volodymyr. You are a great man. Um, I'll get back to you, all right? Yes, definitely. Uh, I look forward to this. I look okay, very forward to this. You're a, you're a great guy. You, you, um, your message was, was really moving, really. Okay? Thank you. We'll, um, Thank you. We'll talk in the near future. Take care. Okay, uh, I'll be waiting for this. Prom promise me one more thing. Um, yes. Don't think too much about it tonight and just enjoy with your wife a quiet Sunday evening. All right? You deserve it. Okay. Okay. All Agreed. Right? And I promise you another thing. When this all ends and we see each other, we'll have a couple of more beers together. <laughs> I, I look forward to it. I look forward to it. Goodbye, Thank man. You. Thank you. Bye-bye. See you. See you soon. Bye.